on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm going to do a very quick first five today because we do have a wonderful guest joining us very quickly. First, what we'll talk about today, uh, Texas Republicans Abandoned Border Enforcement. Just think about that. I mean that title. It's amazing. Uh, second, we have an interview, a, a really fun interview coming up uh, from the United Kingdom, from the UK, with Peter McIlvana of Hearts of Oak. You will love this guy. Uh, and third, what the J6 Proud Boys convictions mean for Donald Trump. We'll talk all about that. And the first five, I'm going to tell you just three quick things before we turn to our wonderful guest. One is, you know, I used to do this thing quite often on my show, especially when it was on Salem, where I would have like a new word or word to learn. And um, I don't do that anymore, a little bit distracting, but there's a great new word, and I wish I had thought of it myself. It's called, the word is being called Foxwizard. Foxwizard, and it is blurring together Fox. It refers to a company that just got take, just you know, hurt themselves, shot themselves in the foot over a stupid decision they made because they were being targeted uh, by the left. And so Fox got rid of Tucker Carlson, and even his very, really popular shows are putting up little ads. Hey, tune in tonight, blah blah blah. And people are responding, sorry, done with Fox, sorry, done with Fox. Same thing with Bud Light, Budweiser, and the ridiculous ad they tried to push uh, of Dylan Mulvaney dressed up like a girl. And, and really, they just are, they may not recover. Anheuser-Busch is really suffering. You know, their valuation goes down. You, the people won't buy their beer. And I, I don't, like, don't want to feel vindictive. I don't think being vindictive is the right thing. But I think the message cannot be sent harshly enough to these people who have power, who have control over their messaging to America. And you have Fox getting rid of really the best host they had uh, and just the most determined to speak the truth, not going to be controlled about what he will say and not say. So removing Tucker Carlson. And of course, people about had it with Budweiser trying to push this whole idea of the um, having a transgender as their you know, on the cam picture on the cam. Second thing in the first five today, uh, for anyone listening who, if you know a young woman who might be interested in attending the Young Women's Leadership Conference here in Texas, this is being sponsored by TPUSA, Turning Point USA. They have an annual event where they bring women together, women speakers, uh, and it's fabulous. This year it's in Dallas. It is in, uh, or just outside of Dallas, and um, it is on June 9th through 11th. And they're offering scholarships to young high school girls who want to attend this conference, Turning Point USA, the Women's Leadership Conference. You want to attend uh, and get up to $1,000 help 
in uh, your travel and lodging and food expenses, you can apply for the scholarship. It is at, you go to tpusa.com, tpusa.com slash Missy, M-I-S-S-Y. If I can get back to Larry in the show, I'll tell you why. Missy was a friend of mine, and uh, this is a scholarship really in her name. But if you know young high school girls who'd like to apply and get to attend the Young Women Leadership Conference for Texas for Turning Point USA right here in Texas on June 9th through 11th, go to tpusa.com slash missy and fill out the application. Okay, one last thing in my first five, actually my main story in the first five. So, you know, I... um. Last year at our summit, at our Women for Freedom Summit, we had our third annual last year, our fourth annual Women for Freedom Summit coming up. But last year we had Laura Logan speak and she was very, very good. And so today I happened to listen to an interview she did on Bannon. And I'm not going to play the interview. I'm going to summarize the point here and I'll be coming back to this. But the point she was making was, you know, here we live in the great state of Texas. We have a completely open border. We have basically no border enforcement and everybody knows it. We have Title 42 elapsing this Thursday, like in two days from now. And, mean, and there are literally a million people lined up on the southern side of the Texas border, ready to pour into Texas. And her point to Steve Bannon was, we have a Republican majority in Texas. We have a Republican governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. Both houses, House and Senate uh, in Texas are Republican majority. And when is anyone with an R by their name going to actually do something? And she made a really piercing point because many people say, well, you know, they, and I have said in the show, I think that leftists who support the new world order, who support world economic forum, kind of global government, they really don't care about borders at all. And obviously many Republicans are tagged with the idea that they won't support securing the borders because of Chamber of Commerce push that people uh, who are, own businesses want to have the inexpensive labor of illegal aliens. But she was making the point, and I, I linked to her interview with Steve Bannon on my website today. There actually was a bill, is a bill in the Texas House, House Bill 20. For you activists here in Texas, look up House Bill 20. It's basically an effort by the actual conservatives in the Texas House to say, you know, we're going to secure our own border. It set, actually tries to set up something, which I think they call the Texas Border, uh, the Texas Border Defense Force, Texas Border Defense Force, HB 20. And her point of Steve Bannon was, it appears to her that the Republicans are going to kill this bill, the Republican majority in Texas are going to kill this bill and they're going to find excuses. They're going to water it down to essentially take away the, the potential for uh, Texas to enforce our own border since the Biden administration clearly will not enforce our own border. She is making the argument that what the establishment Republicans are doing is softening the bill, weakening the bill by adding in essentially language taken from the United Nations immigration policy, which talks about, you know, it's all my term kumbaya like, I mean, it's all just, you know, uh, trying to be welcoming and we want to, you know, give share in our abundance, but whatever. It's, it's a bunch of left wing talk basically with the idea to support the evisceration of the southern border of America and frankly, all international borders. She's saying the Republicans are actually the ones doing that. I didn't see evidence of that yet. I looked at the te Texas legislative calendar. It appears it's going uh, forward. So it appears it's going to go forward. 
But her point was, you know, we have Republicans who have the power in Texas, and they don't seem to be doing anything, anything about it. In fact, they're trying to water it down so we end up on the same, uh, in the same place, really, as the left and as the United Nations in terms of our Texas border policy, which is pretty much just let them all in and be a little bit nicer about it, you know, make nicer welcoming centers, etc. She also makes reference, reference to a website I want to quickly share with you. It's called TexasGOPVote.com. TexasGOPVote.com. She points to them as kind of, of the source, as a source of this thinking about how we can pretend to convey serious border policy intent while actually passing legislation that encourages more and more legal aliens to pour over our border, and all the policy really amounts to is welcoming them and finding ways to excuse their having come to our country without permission and find a way for them to stay. Oddly enough, I used to write for TexasGOPVote.com. My name is on their website. I look today. I used to write for them when the Tea Party first became popular. I interviewed people who were Tea Party founders. I wrote columns. I remember exactly what happened. I think it was 2015. It was a while ago. I wrote a column about border security. And, you know, I, I, I'm a lawyer, and I'm very careful what I say. I do not exaggerate. I'm careful how I word things. And, you know, I, I don't do any of the kind of grandiose um, or, or, you know, angry sounding. It was very a substantive piece I wrote. And I submitted it, assuming it was going to be published without further ado, and the Texas GOP vote people got back to me to say, we do not support this. We support a more friendly immigration policy. And not only did they not publish that column, uh, yeah, I, I, I stepped away. I don't think they told me never write to us again, but I just decided I don't want to be part of something that actually is pretty much for open borders, even though they find a more friendly way of saying that they don't say we're for open borders. They use all the UN-type language of welcoming and, you know, comfort and refugees or our friends, that kind of language. I just decided I couldn't do it, so I don't write for them anymore. So anyway, to wrap up the first five, I really encourage you to listen to that interview. Laura Logan on Steve Bannon is linked at our website, americacanbetalk.org, and I'm happy to spread blame where blame is due. We have a crisis at, this, crisis at the southern border. It is an invasion of America. And especially if you live here, but no matter where you live in America, it, it is a problem. And so for the people of America to understand, it's not just the Democrats, it's not just the left that is hindering uh, our enforcement of the border. Plenty of folks on the right seem just fine with it, too. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. Okay, so we have this great guest joining us. I'm going to give him a little bit of an intro. He'll come on. He's actually on Skype, but... Um, Quickly, I'll tell you. So I met this gentleman. He is in England. He's in the UK. His name is Peter McElvena, and he is the co-founder and host of a thing called Hearts of Oak. And it's a, a podcast. It is online at Rumble. He does great interviews. And But I, the reason I met him, and it was quite a few years ago now. I don't remember when it was, but it was at the time there was a lot of uh, jihadist attacks occurring uh, around the world, and we met at a small private meeting in Houston years ago uh, with people just trying to talk about what do we do, um, what policies can we have to defend and protect, um, you know, essentially England and America uh, as we had growing problems with Islamic Jihad. So that's where I met him. But right until he's back in England, um, he, the, or, the website for his organization is Hearts of Oak heartsofoak.org 
I definitely encourage you to go see that. He, he is a, a, a national campaign manager for the political party UKIP. I think they say UKIP, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to ask him. He's also chief of staff uh, for a member of the House of Lords. That's in the roughest equivalent, the Senate, you know, the higher... Um, uh, body within the government over there. So he's chief of staff at the House of Lords for Lord Pearson of Rannoch. And um, he's very politically active. And he and a, a co-founder founded Hearts of Oak in 2020 to be kind of a voice for free speech in England. So welcome to the show, Peter McElvena. Happy. Great to be on. We have him. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Great to be on with you. Thank you. Great to see you. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, I would just start with uh, I did a little bit of introduction of Hearts of Oak. I love your website. I love the way the website describes uh, what you do. But if you would tell our listeners why you started this Hearts of Oak um, uh, podcast and organization. Well, we started, I was very involved in UKIP, as you said, United Kingdom Independence Party that got Brexit, which was Nigel Farage's party, got us free of the EU. Um, so I, I was campaign manager with them 2019. Uh, and then UKIP achieved its aims of getting out of the EU and thought, well, what next? And it couldn't decide what to do. It couldn't be a populist party. It didn't know what to do. So out of that, a number of us came together and started a what we wanted is a free speech alliance hitting on the issues of gender, uh, patriotism, uh, the clash of Islam and our Western freedoms, uh, a whole range of topics and of course everything fitting under free speech. So we launched that as an educational organization in 2020. Little did we know two weeks later the world would go into lockdown and we decided well we have to do something. So we started doing interviews online and it's now grown to doing 160 guests, uh, 300 odd interviews. We do three. We do three a week. Uh, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then we do a news review on Saturday, 3 p.m. Okay, I love that. I was telling you before uh, we went live here today that on the way down to the studio today, I listened to your interview with Tom Fitton, who is a you know he's a national treasure to conservatives in America. He founded Judicial Watch. He goes after uh, Freedom of Information Act requests all the time. And he's very articulate in explaining you know, why they decide to go after certain things. But he really has been, for the American people, uh, one vehicle there is to open up what's happening inside government that we really never see and we really wouldn't know about. Government probably wouldn't have a lot of interest in sharing with us, um, except for the, what they produce. So I, I, that was a great interview. And, I, and that is just, I mean, it was a great interview. Thank you very much. It was great to have Tom on and great to understand how FOIs are used because we don't have anything that uh, joined up in the UK. So it's exciting to see what Judicial Watch are doing and something that actually other countries should be doing. Absolutely. Okay, so turning to, first of all, let me make sure, the political party over there, UKIP, do you say UKIP or is that not what you should say? It, yeah, UKIP. So United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP. Okay. That a lot. And they're the ones that, as you're uh, alluding to, they brought around Brexit. I mean, they were among the leaders of Brexit, which um, you have to know all the conservatives in America were cheering you on. And this is kind of one overarching premise I wanted to say before we dive into some topics. Sometimes in America or wherever you live, you think the battle on some issues is just really happening in your country because of a certain political party or a certain political activist, like you see it as, as local nationally, but local to you. But there really is in this world, a very broad um, 
push toward globalism and toward one world government uh, that and that carry is played out in countries around the world in terms of what policies they follow what they what they want to do and so the really the battles are being fought for individual freedom freedom of speech freedom of assembly fair elections and all that they're being fought all over the world or at least among countries that we consider free it, it, do you think that's right oh yes and um and the EU was started as simply a, a steel and coal alliance and that developed into a political economic system that controls the countries they're in and they get countries in by offering to assist them financially and to assist them economically and then once you're in you realize you're part of the club and you can't make your own rules and it's like you there in the US uh, with NAFTA, NAFTA being run out of Mexico and you having to ask Mexico for permission to do stuff. That's kind of what it is in the EU where Germany and France to a lesser extent oversee it and tell all the other countries what they must do. And if they don't do, they're severely punished, which Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic are all finding out when they stand up for conservative values, the EU clobbers them and hits them with fines and punishments and withholding of grants. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned those countries. And in particular, I know there were uh, challenges about the EU's preference as to immigration policy. You know, EU kind of had to let them all in. I mean, I'm sure they had, they could articulate a list of bullet point of their standards or policies, but the gist essentially seemed to be the message to EU member countries. You pretty much need to let people in if they want to be in. And you need to have a very open immigration policy. And those particular countries you mentioned, Poland, Hungary, and Czechoslovakia, weren't so hot on that idea. Um, but England did go along for quite a while with a, a, immigrate, a push of immigration. And I used to do, I think this was years ago, I can't remember the timing of it, but I did quite a few stories, interviews of people from England or in England talking about the shift inside the culture of England because of the large number of Islamic refugees who were welcomed into England. And, you know, I was thinking on the way here how there were a lot more stories about that in a few years ago, you'd hear more about it, the Islamization of Western Europe, and you don't hear about it very much anymore. It's not making headlines. So I want to start with, because you're in the UK, has that, is your sense of it, this Islamization of, of the UK is continuing, or is it kind of settled down and UK is emerging as, as its traditional Western culture? I wish it was settling down. It is continuing. And the, the issue with Islam, whether you see Islam as a positive or negative, the issue is it doesn't uh, assimilate. And we've looked at all different people groups, um, different countries and different religions that have come to the UK. And by and large, people assimilate in the UK. I mean, I'm not born in London. I'm born in Northern Ireland. And I've come and I've made London my home and love every part that England provides. Uh, but Islam is something different. Islam comes in and seems to want to dominate and not assimilate. And we've seen a massive change. It probably early now, it was Tony Blair that changed our immigration system in 97, whenever he came in. Up to then, we had net immigration of 50,000. We now have half a million. So it's gone up 10 times under successive governments, not just Labour on the left, but Conservatives on the right. There's been no difference with them. And you go to some of the towns in the north, Yorkshire, those towns in the Midlands that were traditional English 
towns. You had a church on every street corner, those cobbled streets, the, the, the traditional view of an English village, English town. And they now have a, a mosque on every street corner. And it is the call to prayer that rings out and not the church bells. It is amazing. And, you know, um, I think, well, I, I can tell you as an American, our experience, or at least mine, understanding Islam really started for me after 9-11, after the attacks here on 9-11, and the, you know, the many, many cries of people in media, you know, why, why do they hate us? What's going on? And, and for, so I, at least for the first time in my life, became more educated and recognized. I, I read many, many books, people who are experts on Islam, people who had, you know, really studied the history, really back almost to the time of the founding of, uh, to the time of the founding of Islam. And uh, that's perfect, thank you. And um, how they had um, not wanted to assimilate from the very beginning, from the, the founding of Islam, the, the notion was never, we move into countries and we, you know, we become part of the country not being asked to drop their religion, but they, 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 they don't want to assimilate, as you're alluding to, at all. And that became problematic numerous times throughout history. And then this most recent, in fact, there was a book, uh, I can't remember the author, uh, called The Third Jihad, was talking about, this is actually a major international effort to move into countries and not just not only not assimilate, but to begin to claim the culture, claim the country for Islam, even though they had entered not in a warring battle, but through for peaceful immigration. In fact, it was called Hijra. Hijra is this idea of Islamic takeover via immigration. So in, in England today, sadly, you're saying it's there's no dissipate, there's no growing willingness to become part of culture and society, to join British society. No, and the problem is that the debate on this issue is shut down, not using the racism card, but using Islamophobia card. And it's not really a phobia to be afraid of something which is quite violent and is a complete change in all the freedoms that we understand in the West. But that is moving full speed. The demographic, so the demographics in the UK, give you one example of the change. Over 15 years from, I think it was 2004 to 2019, I think it was those 15-year period, the UK population went up by 10.7%. The Islamic population went up by 110%. So it is growing by 10 times the average population. And then you have Islamic schools popping up. You've got, um, obviously, mosques popping up. You've got the whole halal food system popping up. Many, many shops going halal you go to most subways in london it'll be halal only you don't get a choice the prisons the schools and it is a whole industry and the problem is that muslims demand certain things according to their faith where those who are not muslim don't really care so halal becomes the norm on a food item certainly in the uk and then you've got the sharia courts 80 Sharia courts operating in the UK under UK law where women are treated as second-class citizens where they get a quarter or a half the right of a man and all of these are not addressed and slowly slowly you've got the creep and the change of British society. Absolutely true and I don't I want to turn to the uh, case that you worked on uh, or I guess um, many did but Hearts of um, Oak worked on involving a woman who decided she had been 
uh, groomed, or the term, I'll have you talk about that in a moment, uh, by some uh, they, who were previously Islamic immigrants and they, and in certain areas of your country, set up and they were just targeting young women and grooming them and eventually getting involved with them sexually. And um, I, the woman uh, of whom I'm speaking, the, her perpetrator, her rapist, uh, did get convicted uh, criminally of rape, I think it was in 2018, but she went on to sue him and kind of to say, which I thought was interesting, I want to have you talk about why she would sue him, he got convicted, you know, why she chose to sue him, and what was the goal of the litigation? Was it just to, was it to raise awareness? I'd love to have you talk about that. So we have been running this for two years, and we have in the UK over a 40 year period, uh, we have had Muslim rape gangs. And I say Muslim because 90%, over well over 90% of the men who have been charged and sentenced to jail, 450 of them, I believe, um, Muslim background, uh, Pakistani background. And this has happened, this happened with impunity until 2012, whenever it was highlighted in the front page of the Times in London. And suddenly the story broke that this had been happening. The police turned a blind eye, local councils turned a blind eye, child, child services turned a blind eye. Um, so we looked into this and realized that these girls who had been pimped out, had been raped uh, because they were white, girls, um, they actually didn't get any financial compensation from the perpetrator. So the individuals got jailed for pathetically short sentences, like uh, one group, the Rochdale Nine, they got jailed for between six and 22 years, with most in between six and nine years. Um, so this girl, Liz, her perpetrator was jailed for, I think it was six or seven years, um, but he was sent away to jail. But she should be entitled to financial recompense from him, but she got nothing unless she went through the court system. So we connected a barrister, a solicitor, three funders, of which Lord Pearson Aranek was involved in that. And we had connected with Liz before. We put them together and for two years we've run this. And the judgment a month ago was that she is entitled to 425,000 pounds, which is half a million dollars. Now we are fighting to get that. We will take his property. We will take everything from him um, and make sure we get as much as possible to her. But it's crazy that she had to raise what well, we raised 30,000 pounds. Um, which means the legal system is out of reach for most of these girls to actually get financial recompense from their perpetrators. And the argument was, I, mean, I love that. I love that you did that. I so commend that. This young woman, uh, I don't know all the facts in her case, but did, would she point to the conduct of the uh, Islamic immigrants uh, in, in England as having targeted her while she was a minor? So she, they're, they're grooming her over some period of years and and really kind of interfering with the normal reactions and way she would think. Actually, just describe what grooming is and how old she was when it started. She was, I think she was 13. Uh, she may have been 14, but I think 13. And it's basically groups of young Muslim Pakistani men who are preying on white girls because they see them as lesser than them because they're not Muslim, because maybe because they're not dressed from head to foot in a burqa. Therefore, they think they're entitled to have them. Uh, so the, the problem is whenever 
these individuals come from a culture where you don't have any engagement with women. And the problem is in Islamic texts that you have slaves, you have sex slaves. Um, and therefore, it is permitted not only in Islamic texts, but in the culture. Um, so th that is the issue when individuals come over and you have a, a culture that says women have equal rights of men. But yet in those cultures and that religion, it says actually, no, they don't. And this is the fallout of that culture clash, which we're seeing all across Europe, really. I, I'm I so commend you. I'm so happy for her that she was able to get this victory and really impressed by her because it's a pretty brave thing to do. You know, when you're you're young, it's embarrassing, I'm sure, to describe the conduct that occurred. And uh, and you know, you're apparently you're implying that you you're vulnerable, you were misled. I mean, it just it was very brave of her to do that. And I would hope ultimately, I mean, if more cases like this happen, the message may slowly penetrate into the Islamic community. Whatever we thought we could do, whatever we, we thought these non-Muslim girls were, you know, ours for the having, and or they were second-class people, so it's okay if we mistreat them. That message of penetrating it here in the UK is not it's not going to be accepted. There was one particular area um, uh, in, in England where there was a large group of them where it became a really public. What was the name of the area? Rotter, not Rotterdam. Rotterdam. Rotterdam, Rotterdam is the main one. Yeah. Anyway, I, I love that you did that. And it's really, in a way, it's standing up. I mean, it's helping her. It's also standing up for kind of British or Western civilization or Christian culture that just says, we don't let anyone be mistreated. I mean, I, I thought it was really affirming of your culture. Yes. And she was extremely brave in going through that. And um, I have no idea what she's been through. I've talked to her many, many times. I've got to know her well. But I can't understand what she's been through. And yet she's done that, not only for her to get some financial compensation, but actually for your, as you said, for the floodgates to open and for many other girls to realize actually the system can give them this financial benefit and therefore they're entitled to this. And it really should open the doors to many other girls. And we've had one Labour MP that's talked about up to a million girls have been affected by this. This is huge, um, huge. Up to, a, oh my gosh. Well, it's a, it's a challenge to Western civilization. We could probably talk about this more. I want to talk, you, you guys do so many good things. And so I want to um, uh, quick turn to a couple other stories. Uh, one is you had recent elections over there yeah. in the UK. And um, your, your party, we'll say UKIP, but you're the ones who really enabled Brexit to come along. And um, so is the Brexit mentality still popular in England? Are people on board with it still, do you sense? Or are they, um, what's, your, what's your sense of that? So um, UKIP, I am uh, was UKIP. I'm not with any party at the moment. I'm uh, quite frustrated on the sidelines watching the party political scene. Um, there's a lot of debate in the UK whether Brexit has succeeded or not. The problem is our politicians were given the power. They were given the, the steering wheel from Brussels. The, the problem is they didn't know what to do with it. Boris Johnson was driving. He had no clue what to do. Then you had Liz Truss. She lasted, what, six weeks. Now I've got Rishi Sunak. None of them actually wanted to be free from the EU. They wanted that subjugation. So our population at the moment are trying to understand whether it is a benefit or not because they're not being shown a model that works. Uh, during the elections, the Conservative Party, 
were were clobbered. They lost. So there were eight thousand council seats up for grabs. We have twenty four thousand. Eight thousand were up for grabs. Next year will be another eight thousand. It's split. Um, so out of the eight thousand, the Conservatives lost. I think just over a thousand. Labour gained five hundred. Lib Dems gained five hundred. Um, it was really punishment for the Conservative Party for a range of issues. Now, when I say Conservative Party, they're not Conservative. They're Conservative in name only. Uh, we haven't had a proper Conservative Party probably actually since back in Margaret Thatcher's time. Um, they are just a Liberal Party and a little bit less socialist than the Labour Party. But um, it was a, a massive bloody nose to Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister Conservative Party. Um, and we will have a general election in probably 15 to 18 months. And probably Labour will get into power, but it'll be the same old. It, as you know, over there in the US, it's the establishment running things and there isn't much change despite whichever party wins an election. Sally, that is a true story. You're right. It's a true story in America, a lot of other places. You know, it's an amazing thing, the spirit, alluding to my earlier point, but it's an amazing thing. I think in America, the conservative movement, the patriot movement, it is really filled with people, the thinkers and leaders, and really everyone who supports it. They want the notion of, you know, in terms of America's founding documents, the idea of, you know, God-given rights, and individual liberty and freedom, and we have a, a God-given right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I mean, the people who are really conservative and patriots, and patriots, that's what they want. And it is amazing to watch people, even candidates who will run on issues that conservatives say, yeah, we like that guy or that woman. This is great. You know, they get into power. It's just too alluring, it seems, to many people it's just easier to give in to kind of the general, you know, shift of thought, the winds of change come along, and now we're all supposed to be globalists. And it's hard to find people who will stick to their guns about individual freedom, individual liberty. And that when you say some people are, they kind of liked being under Brexit's control, you know, it makes you less responsible. If anything bad happens, well, we're all going through it together. It's kind of Brexit's fault. It's a fear of taking lead, uh, the lead as a leader. Do you think that's right? You agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we, I, I remember I grew up watching politics, loving politics. Maybe it was a strange child, but I really enjoyed it. And watching the debates between big beasts between individuals who actually seem to be passionate about something, believe in something, and you kind of looked up to some of those political figures. Now we we don't have that. We have a, a parliament of, of pygmies, and there's no one really who believes in anything anymore. It simply seemed as a, it, it's like a career option now. You know, you finish university, you then get a job as a researcher, you move up, um, and that's just a career ladder as opposed to working in the world and then wanting to make a difference in politics. So we have completely lost that, uh, that passion, that conviction, and it's just consensus politics. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. Um, I want to turn to another thing going on there. Uh, you know, we had, and kind of still ongoing in America, uh, the world went through the COVID, you know, we had the, I believe, release of a bioweapon, but anyway, COVID was inflicted on people around the world. And, you know, we kind of watched in shock. In fact, I don't know if you know Katie Hopkins, if you happen to know her, but she has been on the show many times. She's something. Anyway, she was really uh, very feisty about standing up about the COVID restrictions and not being willing to go along with them. And um, I, we were messaging earlier this morning, you and I were, I guess, 
you were saying uh, that the restrictions have mostly been lifted now in the UK. Is that right? Yes. No, there is no one like Katie Hopkins. Uh, I've had her on and got to know her over the years. Um, and we need vocal individuals like that against the tyranny that we face. Now, most restrictions, I think all the restrictions have been lifted, but no, we, we weren't as we weren't as bad as, as Germany and Austria that actually the, the, the jabs were about to be mandated. They were days away from being mandatory. And I know places like Canada had mandatory jabs. Um, I know the US, you faced them in different industries. We actually were free apart from if you worked in the health industry. Um, but we were also given opt-outs so you could self-identify as being exempt if putting on a mask, for instance, caused you severe distress and cutting off your air supply will cause any human being severe distress. So we had that opt-out. We were actually the only country that had that opt-out in the whole of Europe. Um, I remember probably wearing a mask the first maybe month, six weeks, knowing you what was happening, then I realised actually I don't think this really works. Um, and going on the underground, on the metro, uh, and not wearing a mask. And if I was stopped, I I'm exempt. Oh, that's fine. And you were let go. Where when I travelled to Europe, you had to mask up wherever you went and you had to submit to that. So we had a level of freedom, but the flip side of it, we had a conservative government that was telling the public if your neighbour invites someone else in for a cup of tea, phone the police, phone 999, phone emergency services, they will come, they will arrest them, they will fine them a thousand pounds. And that was a so-called concerted government getting neighbours to snitch, to phone the police, to tell on their neighbours for the high crime of having a cup of tea during COVID. That's the kind of thing, actually, I'm glad you're mentioning that. that was, I can't remember the exact story, but Katie Hopkins was telling about certain uh, distance you weren't supposed to go past your home to go grocery shopping. And she just, as you might imagine, she pushed the limits at all times. Um, but on a serious, I know she's, she's so funny. I love having her. Uh, she's actually spoken at a couple of our summits and she's always amazing. But on a serious note, part of what's happened in America and it's happening in the UK too, and this is what I mean about this global developments, I mean, happening in many countries, there's still very much a push in America to not allow public discussion about the, first of all, source of the, vac source of the virus, uh, the efficacy of the vaccines, the possible danger of the vaccines, and the liability, if any, that should attach to the biopharmaceuticals that produce the vaccines. There's still a tamping down. In fact, here in America, I mean, it's not the government doing it, but you have social media sources still. You know, um, I, my show got permanently banned on YouTube because of talking about, with, with a doctor talking about how great ivermectin works to treat COVID. That, and that was that. So anyway, but back to it. Something just happened in the UK recently. I'd love to have you talk about it. This was um, Mark Stein, who's a wonderful commentator, um, had on Naomi Wolf. And the reason, by the way, I love Naomi Wolf speaking up is because she's a former liberal. I mean, she's big buddies with Bill Clinton, but she has she dove in and took a look at Pfizer data about what they knew about the danger of the vaccines at the time they okayed them to release to the public. I'd love to have you tell that story. What, what happened, the broadcast role in the UK when Naomi Wolf spoke up? I remember when Mark Stein was interviewing Naomi and I thought, wow, Mark, uh, what's going to happen with this? Um, I follow Naomi as well. We've had her on three, four times on her show um, <clears throat> and followed the evidence that she has produced. And she was on with Mark Stein. Mark Stein was on GB News. GB News is probably the only right, right wing 
right-leaning news organisation we have on TV, uh, one of the ruling news channels, and by and large, they do a lot of good work. Uh, but there were two presenters that would often engage on this issue, and Mark Stein specifically would talk about vaccine injuries. He would have people on who have suffered vaccine injuries. That was a topic you didn't discuss. Um, I mean, you've talked about being can cancelled. Uh, I actually thought Islam would be the issue that actually we would have got cancelled on, but no, it was COVID. You couldn't push back against the groupthink on COVID, on jabs. Um, and Mark Stein interviewed her and he actually, more or less, he was forced out of GB News firstly because of that. He was told he would have to, I think, pay all the regulatory fines that would come their direction um, and he would be under a certain level of control. Uh, Mark Stein isn't someone who you can control, so he walked away. Uh, and that interview with Naomi Wolf was, was brilliant. Um, Ofcom, which are the regulatory body for communications. They just ruled, I think it was yesterday, that yes, um, Mark Stein transgressed and broke the law and he's very naughty. Now, I don't actually know what will happen to him because he has left uh, GB News. He does his own show, um, but GB News will probably be punished by some fine. But you're not allowed to have an open and honest conversation about uh, about the vaccines, about the jabs, about whether there are adverse effects or not, um, and how people's lives have been affected. And whether it's a lot or a, a small, it should be part of the discussion. And Mark Stein brought that onto GB News and suffered for it and lost his job. He most certainly did. And, you know, it's really funny, hearkening back to, I said on this show, and I'm sure you said many times too, one of the hallmarks of Western civilization was always the robust debate of ideas. It was about freedom. It was about we can disagree on a wide range of issues, and colleges and universities especially were supposed to be the home of this you know, robust debate of ideas. But censorship in the form you're describing of this GB news uh, and censorship that's happening in America, um, it is really making, it's a, it's got a new definition or a new justification coming from government. They're talking, at least here in America, about, well, we can't allow misinformation or disinformation. So we, the, you know, Ministry of Truth, we can tell America what's true and what is misinformation and disinformation. And you're supposed to know that those are never to be discussed. And that is so contrary to everything America is supposed to be and the UK is supposed to be. And honestly, I do think that these misinformation campaigns by the government and by social media companies here, they actually drive more people to research themselves and say, why are they, why are they telling us not to listen to this? Do you, do you find that too over there? Yes, but I think your biggest source of misinformation is probably Joe Biden. Um, now, we have tried to have a conversation here. We've had numerous laws passed. We had a law passed in Ireland, I say we, just across the water from the UK, in Ireland that has made it illegal to spread misinformation. Now, I guess the government will decide what that is. We then in the UK have the online safety bill that will restrict anything which may cause harm or offence. 
it's the most draconian piece of legislation on restriction of speech online. And within a day of the UK announcing it was going to have that legislation, the EU announced their own mirror image of that legislation. Um, and we've had WhatsApp, we've had Telegram, Signal organisations saying, well, if that comes in, they will have to pull out of the UK and Europe because they cannot be liable for someone possibly finding offence at someone. And Debbie, you know, today's world, people find offence at everything. So it's too easy. You know, actually, I don't have it with me. And I want to make sure this is the same thing. I did have an article I did never get to a few weeks ago. I, I understood it to be coming out of the Irish Parliament um, that was doing what you're describing, essentially saying, you know, that was limiting speech and even fining speech if you publish or say something that others find offensive. I mean, what you were just describing a minute ago was this what is a is a move within the UK. So uh, we've just had that passed in Ireland, and we don't know how that's going to be implemented. We don't know. Again, you've legislation, you know, that passes, and then you have to see how the courts enforce that, how the police enforce it. That's where you see it in action. Um, but actually, in the UK, we have the Online Safety Bill, which has gone through the Commons, House of Commons, the lower house, is now in the House of Lords, the upper house, and is just at its nearly final stage. And then it will become law. No opposition to it at all. And it is the biggest censorship that we have faced online since online was developed, since the internet was developed. Uh, and it is hugely frightening that uh, we don't know who will make these decisions on what is right or wrong. And we live in a, a culture that doesn't accept truth any longer. So I don't know how it's going to go. I assume it's going to go. The government will use this to shut down on any dissent, any voice that they disagree with, which could be anything. Medical misinformation today, tomorrow could be something else. And my worry is that you'll have many law-abiding people will find themselves punished and locked up simply for wanting to speak freely about a whole range of issues could not agree more you know it's you i mean the other issues i can imagine easily being applied to um are environmental you know climate alarmism is dangerous because you're saying x and not y you're not agreeing with i mean it could be on climate on health issues anything about COVID or vaccines or any other future vaccine or future virus it's tremendously oppressive what in your mind, what accounts for the fact that in the UK, you don't have opposition from any political party, at least in the House of Commons? What has happened? Um, it, what has happened? We've, we've lost, I think it's the left have done an amazing job on chipping away at national identity. Um, that's what's happened before. We have now... Been, uh, we have now been taught to hate our own country. The British Empire was awful. Uh, it never gave anything good to the world. And then we've got that self-hate of us as a nation. That's where multiculturalism comes in. Any other culture is better than than ours. Um, I remember the, the church I was at on, on St. George's Day, which is the patron saint of England, they didn't even mention it. I mean, it was a perfect chance for the church to say, let's pray and thank God for our heritage. Wasn't even mentioned. But St. Patrick's Day or other celebrations will be celebrated. So it is that self-hate um, that the left have been geniuses at over the decades. Um, and 
it all goes back to the education system. They they control our education system. They control teacher training. Um, and that goes back to probably the 60s, whenever this has come in, that culture of Marxism that's taken over our educational system. And now when you engage with teachers, you find most of them are certainly very much on the left, hit Britain, do not like freedoms, think any other culture is better than this, and are certainly far away from any Christian or biblical understanding of truth. That's where I think it's been lost, and that just simply seeps its way through, and the politicians we see now are a product of our education system. Peter, every word you just said, every word you just said could be said about America. I mean, it's exactly the same. The schools get invaded. Uh, it's, you know, it's um, not with bullets and bombs, but just ideology and the people take over and they're, and what they're doing, they're undermining the belief in, the love of America, the uniqueness of, I mean, everything you just said. I will say, I think there is a, in, in America, I, I truly believe there's a rising sense among just everyday patriots. It's not, you know, it's not an intellectual movement. It's, uh, it's just a, it's, it's not just, it is a people realizing that on the ground notion, we better be fighting for these freedoms um, because they really will be gone. And what you, I, that is amazing what you just said. Some you could have been commenting about America, about exactly what's happened. Okay, so I have to tell you, this has been too much fun. We have to do this again. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you, please? Yes, they can find us at Hearts of Oak on Getter, on Gab, uh, at Hearts of Oak UK on Twitter, or just go to heartsofoak.org uh, and then you can click all our videos or um, podcasts are available there. Everything is on the website, but it's every Monday, Thursday and Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern time or 2 p.m. for you in Texas. Well, you're also on Rumble which is yep. very popular here. Rumble is a great, I mean, it's very popular here. Uh, honestly, I am so really commend you for what you do, your idea behind Hearts of Oak and your uh, passion and clarity and bravery and standing up for that young girl who dealt with groomers and fighting the f good fight in politics. I mean, you know, you are, uh, well, if you were in America, we'd be saying, you're one of us. You're the, the not, you know, it used to be the Tea Party, whatever you call it today. It's the Patriot Movement is is really alive and, and um, thriving in America. It sounds like you're doing the same thing in England. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Debbie, for having me on. Great to see you. Okay, my very fine friends, I'm going to try to hit one last story. And um, we are, uh, don't have a ton of time. And so I probably have to come back to this. But I want to mention what's happened in Washington. Um, there was a trial, and I, probably most of you listening know this, uh, but there was a trial in Washington, one of the many J6 prosecutions. And recently, uh, the outcome uh, of, of um, several trials have been uh, written about by Julie Kelly. And she's essentially talking about the idea uh, that the conviction of people uh, who are members of this group, Proud Boys, um, which is one organization having been uh, charged with uh, seditious conspiracy. I want to get the name of it right. Yeah, seditious conspiracy. Um, and so they are going after these, these groups, seditious uh, conspiracy, um, with the idea um, that the Proud Boys was one group, Oath Keepers was another. But they're using a statute that was passed in America right after the Civil War. So obviously a very old statute, hadn't been used in years. And they're essentially, they're about this close to calling the January 6th protests in Washington uh, a, 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 an act of sedition. I mean, and so obviously they refer to it as an insurrection. 
that the protesters on January 6th, which as Julie Kelly points out, was a four-hour protest uh, in Washington, an unarmed protest, a four-hour unarmed protest has resulted in the conviction of so many people, and in particular why people are very concerned um, about this conviction of the Proud Boys is the use of this statute, the particular statute, the seditious conspiracy, um, and along with other uh, charges which are normally not even attached to protests in, uh, in Washington at the Capitol. The other charges being um, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding um, and obstruction of law enforcement during a civil disorder. Um, you know, those, it, it was all just basically surrounding the protest. Most of the evidence in this case uh, for the conviction of these people, these Proud Boys, uh, were, was just essentially online group chat messages back and forth. They really didn't do much at all in Washington. In fact, one of the people convicted wasn't even in Washington on January 6th. So the government used online communications in a chat group talking about, obviously these people are talking about their protest on January 6th, an impending protest, very deeply concerned about it. And uh, that's what the government used as the evidence. That online chat group had been invaded by or surreptitiously uh, a government, one or more FBI agents or federal government spy types got into that chat group. And so they have all of the statements made by these people. And so this is a conviction which apparently will lead to decades in prison, mainly to decades in prison. That's what the government wants, decades in prison for communications online between people related to what they and millions of Americans saw then and even more now as a stolen election, but because they talked about it online and they're upset, obviously upset with the notion that we're going to have to live with this administration that the people did not elect, um, and, and they're gonna to go to prison for a long time for talking, no weapons. No, you know, no, nothing physical. And I'm getting at the point uh, that, number one, it's very concerning. One of the uh, defendants' mother reached out to me, and I'm going to try to get her on the show um, to talk about this instance. But I'll tell you a couple elements that are very alarming. One is the government is using what they have conjured up in the minds of American citizens as a scary name, you know, Proud Boys. Everyone knows how dangerous Proud Boys are. Oh my gosh, you know, and, and Oath Keepers. And, you know, these are people, they, they are conservative apparently, or they're, they, but, but they were concerned entirely because of what they saw was of a, as a stolen election in 2020. So they're basically saying, the government's basically saying, you're not allowed to reach that conclusion. You can't reach a conclusion that the election was stolen and you can't talk about it. You can't talk about it online. And when they didn't do much of anything in Washington and yet they're facing decades in prison, it's very alarming. Number one, the government's using what they have conjured up about these two groups to scare people. Number two, everyone can see that the left is setting the table to use these same statutes to try to prosecute Donald Trump. That is the goal. It is the goal of the DOJ, the goal of the FBI is to get to the point they can prosecute Donald Trump for these same crimes arising out of the January 6th incident. And as you likely see, you know, Donald Trump is soaring in the polls. He's way, way, way ahead of um, the only other serious contender on the Republican side, um, Ron DeSantis, and way ahead of Biden. He's now showing polling above Biden. 
And so what this is, I, I, I mean, I'm going to say it as bluntly as I can. This is the federal government using the power they have to promote and protect the incumbent political party, the party in power, and to go after and essentially disable the president that the people are likely to elect in November uh, of next year. And uh, in fact, there are many, many comments from people you should be worried about, I and mean, people you should recognize will be taken somewhat seriously. Um, David Frum, you know, who's not a, he's not, he's not an official, he's an official big mouth, but he used to be, uh, he was, pre he was a speechwriter for President George W. Bush, you know, has gone the total leftist Marxist, you know, mindset now. Um, he's talking about, um, he was referring to these convictions of the Proud Boys and saying, yet the commanders who plotted and ordered the attack are escaping with impunity, even running for high office. He's saying, we need to have the DOJ get Donald Trump next. Same kind of comments are coming out of numerous other actually prominent officials, uh, members of Congress making those kind of comments. Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland, saying um, he described, uh, you know, from came up with this axis of evil to refer to Trump, Proud Boys, and um, uh, the other Oath Keepers. And so Jamie Raskin's making the point. Um, he's talking about those groups as overlapping concentric, concentric ring of traitorous conspirators, uh, making noise about how you can't let the real ringleader at the top skate away free. Uh, you know, Adam Schiffless from California, Democrat, talking about DOJ must also hold those who fomented the insurrection. It was not an insurrection, and everybody knows it. I'm getting to the point. It's not just terrible that these convictions occurred in Washington, D.C., a jury that is, you know, made up of the 90, I think it's legitimately 94% of Washington, D.C., has, is filled with Democrat voters. The jury is full of Democrat voters. The judge in the case would not allow the case to be moved to, as, as many defendants in other kinds of cases ask, we need a change of venue. He would not grant the change of venue. He had people in the jury, people on the jury who had participated in left-wing protest marches supporting BLM and other left-wing causes. So you have left-wingers on the jury in a city's 94% Democrat, and it, it, I mean, and the government just piling on about the the private conversations. I mean, it, it is a recipe for disaster, but also it's a real wake-up call to Americans about how far the anti-American left has come in really tamping down any opposition to them at all. Any opposition to them at all is viewed by the left is just unacceptable, must be silenced, and this was a big win for those people. Now, these cases may go up on appeal, maybe the Supreme Court finally gets, gets in, but I, I'm out of time for today, but I do want to encourage you to think about whether you hate the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, or you never heard of them, or you love them. I've never even heard of them before January 6th, and I don't know anything about them, but this is the government saying very much that you were just hearing, similar to what you were just hearing from our guest a moment ago, of just the cultivation of the concept of those in power in this growing world of leftist power in America, in the UK, to, to basically decide, 
We will decide what you are allowed to say and think, and you will shut up otherwise. Because what this ultimately does also, it shuts down protesters, it shuts down speakers, it shuts down writers, it shuts down talk show hosts, because nobody wants to be the next one in the crosshairs of the FBI. Nobody wants to. But if you don't stand up, you really will lose freedom in America. I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our happy day today, or I was happy today. Uh, the Texas Republicans are banning the border enforcement. Allegedly, red state Texas has a GOP-controlled House, Senate, and Governor's Office, yet patriot legislation designed to give the Texas governor greater power to secure the border is being allegedly shut down by GOP House representatives. What gives? GOPE, which is establishment donors, desire open borders almost as much as radical leftists. It is a uniparty priority. GOPE donor class controls the actions of the Texas GOP reps. Texans' common sense is being mocked, then ignored by elected officials. Every common sense Texan locks their doors at night. Every common sense Texan and American wants the doors to their country, their borders, locked. Everyone with common sense is willing to unlock the doors after visitors are vetted. Criminals, terrorists, not allowed in. Those who sincerely desire citizenship can be welcomed. Mocking, ignoring the common sense of Texans is not a wise governing idea. And on. What the J6 Proud Boy convictions mean for Trump. FBI malfeasance in the Proud Boys trial not being reported. I didn't even get to that point. I will get to that. Jury bias also ignored. Guilty verdicts expected to embolden the special counsel to indict Trump. Even jailing Trump pending trial is now being openly discussed. Jailing Trump during the election season. And they think this will somehow tamp down support for him. I don't think so. Every bit of the J6 and the Get Trump sedition hysteria springs from a categorical, demonstrable lie. The 2020 election was the most secure in history. And I want to interrupt my own little reading of this to say I, that was a point I want to hammer today and other days. Entirely what you think about January 6th and many other issues springs from whether or not you figured out that the 2020 election was rigged and was full of outcome-changing fraud, or whether you actually think it was the most secure in history, that launching point determines what you think. But what the left is saying is no one's even allowed to think. What we are, are telling you, you're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to think that there was um, election fraud in 2020. Okay. Proof that the 2020 election was rigged is now overwhelming, documented, and irrefutable. Look at the data of Dr. Douglas Frank, the analysis of Seth Keschel, 2,000 mules, the Twitter files, the willful deceit of 51 government officials with Hunter's laptop, the details of the Connick case. More FBI DOJ whistleblowers must step up and acknowledge this proof. We have a small number of DOJ, uh, excuse me, a small number of FBI agents quitting and speaking up. We need whistleblowers from the DOJ to expose the tremendous political witch hunt that is now the DOJ. And that is what's coming out about the FBI. Justice can never emerge from a foundation of prosecutorial lies. Civil society cannot be maintained on a foundation of governmental deceit. Special Counsel Smith ought to resign. My very fine friends, I have 
a really great guest joining me tomorrow. I can't even say the name, but I'm telling you, don't miss a show tomorrow. The show, for those who like to watch it live, we're starting half an hour late tomorrow, so it's starting at 3.30 Central Time. It's a great guest, a truly stellar interview tomorrow. And then Thursday this week, our Thursday show, uh, we have a wonderful friend and, and also a major league just a wonderful hero, Sharona Bishop, who will tell you about her dealing with the FBI breaking down her door and her efforts for uh, election integrity also. So two great shows coming up. Don't miss them. And please, everyone, tune in to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. My show is America Can We Talk. The website is americacanwetalk.org. Everything we do is at that website. I urge you to tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you hear?